Welcome, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're about to get into Encounter with God Bible study. Before we do, we have text messages and we have another question for our quiz. Another question for the quiz. Here we go. Which of the following animals is not mentioned in the Bible? A, a unicorn. B, a bear. C, a leopard. Or D, an elephant. Again, let me read this question because I don't, I don't want you to get lost. Which of the following animals is not mentioned in the Bible? A, a unicorn, B, a bear, C, a leopard, or D, an elephant? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. If you call or text that number with the correct answer, you will go into the draw to win the Days of Daniel board game where you are able to work your way through his journey of faith, and not only his journey of faith, but also his prophetic vision as well, collect cards. But, yeah, and that question was, which of the following animals is not mentioned in the Bible? A, a unicorn, B, a bear, C, a leopard, or D, an elephant? 0491-064-669. Okay, so coming through on the text line is this. Mm-hmm. In regards to how right the world is to hear the good news that we have as Christians, just begs the question, what are we doing as Christians? Why are more of us not sharing the blessings that we have received? That survey should be a call to action. That's about that survey looking mm-hmm. at prayer in the United mm-hmm. Kingdom, prayer being on the rise in the United Kingdom. Uh, another text message says a church that teaches and believes in evolution just weakens its influence because as Christians we claim to get our foundation from the Bible and if the Bible cannot be trusted, why use any of it? Oh. And we will not solve the racism issue while evolutionary science is allowed to be taught as fact. True. It is obvious that if you teach one race is superior over another that racism will abound. Mm. So racism won't be solved until God comes back. Thankfully, we are nearer every day to that glorious day. And there's a simple reality of evolution. It's impossible to be an evolutionist and not assume that some human beings are more developed than others. Mm. Because evolution is a process of continual development. Then you've just got to solve the question, well, which ones? And that is obviously going to be connected to races because that's how the process of evolution works. Mm-hmm. Some species are more evolved than others. That's just an evolutionary concept. Mm. All right, moving on. We have more text messages here. And we have this one. Oh, somebody got the uh, somebody got the answer right for the quiz. Mm. But they looked it up. Ah, oh, they had to uh, look it up. Of yeah. And they're a regular church attender as well. Yeah. So, uh, you're banned. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you're banned. Uh, you can't win. Sorry. <laughs> nah, it's all good. Okay. So, the Russian Orthodox Church and World Council of Churches, they need unity for the one world church, which must be church and state for these last days, according to the Bible. It's a very, very valid observation to make right mm-hmm. there. They can't attack the Russian Orthodox Church for its union of church and state. Uh-huh. Because that's their aim. Yeah. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. So how can they speak up against it? They are powerless. They're all like, oh, no, the war in Ukraine is so bad, but we can't do anything about it because we believe in union of church and state. Yeah. Ouch. Yikes. Religion in the UK in massive decline. World current events and fear is causing uh, younger people to be more spiritual. When Satan personates Jesus Christ, all of the unbelievers will become believers in a day, if not sooner. Most unbelievers believe only what they can see. 
and they will see the arch deceiver, a mighty beautiful being doing great miracles for those who did not believe the truth, will now believe the father of lies. Mm. And then we've got this one on graphene tubes. One million times smaller than a human hair could cure the blind, fix broken hearts, heal severed spines, and treat worn-out joints. It's the thickness of a single atom. God beat science again. We are marvelously made. Mm. And then we have one here that says, The mission of the church... The mission of the Club of Rome, founded in Rome in early 1968 to act as a global catalyst of change by sponsoring studies and conferences and issuing reports to change how people act and think by changing history. Mm. Uh, In reference to what we were talking about during the interview, some of the uh, methods of change that have been used to change how people think Mm. in relationship to the Bible, in relationship to God, in relationship to science, and they have been remarkably successful at it. It's interesting to see the tide starting to turn in so many areas of science where the higher levels of science are actually recognising that evolution is impossible. Yeah. Uh, And we see that coming through over and over and over again, and they're like, we need to come up with a different model because this one doesn't actually work. Yeah. It seems like, you know, your high school and your lower college level Scientists mm. haven't reached that yet. Mm. But when you get to those higher levels, definitely there's a massive movement where people are like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. The model doesn't work. Yeah. But, and always we go to, it's like, oh, how can you say it doesn't work? Well, it's like the pillars of the theory have never been proven. That's right. Uh, like, and, and particularly, you know, we can talk about the, histori- the like historicalness of the theory, but I mean as in the the things that should be empirical just aren't, like replicating a... Uh, well, creating a self-replicating cell from, from nothing. Uh, whereas, you know, you could say, well, Christians are in the same bind. What, can you show me God creating something and being supernatural? And to that I say, I can. Let's study the Bible together. Yes, but, absolutely. Uh, and I'll show you God being supernatural. Yes. And, and not just in the sense of, look, see, Jesus did a miracle here. Are you going to believe this? No, no, I, I, I will give you appropriate, testable, supernatural evidence for the fact that God exists. And you will be able to see how God is acting right now in our world. That's right. Yes. So, yeah. Nah, it's good stuff. It's great stuff. All right, where are we up to? We are, oh, we're reading the Bible, Lyle. We're in the uh, Bible. Are we? I hope so. <laughs> I'm just looking for our Bible study. Are we a day ahead in our... Do we miss a day here somewhere? Uh, I, I let me know. see. Let me just, just let me just scroll through here and have a look. On Sunday, we did Philippians... Oh, sorry. On, on Monday, we did Philippians 2, 5 to 9. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, Today's Tuesday, Thursday. we did Romans 12, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And then on Wednesday, we did the story of Samuel. Sure. That was yesterday. And now we are up to the story of Samuel. Oh, again. Continued. Continued. Okay. We are not stopping with the story of Samuel. We Uh are continuing the story of Samuel. So here's a bit of an introduction. You know, when Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't simply because she doubted God's word. Sure. At the heart of the problem was her belief that she had enough wisdom to decide for herself what was good and right. Mm. She trusted her own judgment when we rely on our own judgment as opposed to trusting God's word. We open ourselves up to all sorts of problems. Mm. The story of Saul describes his steps to self-reliance and the tragedy that so quickly follows. Mm -hmm. Samuel anointed Saul as God's king, 
then gave Saul specific instructions, but Saul disobeyed. So this is the story of Samuel continued. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, as I'm turning the pages here in my Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be ruler over Israel, his special possession. Okay, now let's head down to the same chapter, Uh verse 8. Verse 8, the Bible says, Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there and sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. Okay, so for those of us who know the story, if you continue reading from here, you're going to find that Saul goes again to Gilgal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's, he's starting off and he waits for Samuel. Uh-huh. And Samuel is delayed. Mm-hmm. And he gets nervous and does the sacrifice himself. Mm. All right, let's go to First Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to start reading here in verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Bro was living. I didn't realize he was, he was that old when he was fighting. It was a long reign. Fighting, fighting, uh, fighting Daniel in the end. Continues on, it says, Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest... Uh, of the men home, he took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. Though the other 1,000 went to Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Okay, and the rest of the people, he sent every man to his tent. And what did Jonathan do in verse 3? In verse 3, it says, Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines in Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up in revolt. Okay, so it's an interesting story here because he has... You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. So Saul has, you know, been proclaimed king. Sure. The Philistines are dominating. Uh-huh. And this is part of the story of the early history of Israel is that they were dominated by the Philistines a lot of the time. The Philistines yep. was kind of the dominant power in the region. Mm. And the Philistines are dominating. The... Paul Saul has a, a standing army, which is you know a, a couple of thousand men with him and a thousand men with his son Jonathan. The rest of the army, rather than being a standing army, is a citizen army. That's right. And he sent the citizens home to their tents because if you don't, then you starve. Mm. You have to have people who are out there working, people who are out there growing field, food in the fields and so forth. And so he sent them home, but he's kept a house guard. Now, this is an extra big house guard. Typically, your house guard in those days would be 40, 100 men, something like that. Mm. It would be your personal security force. This is big because he knows and he recognizes the threat that the Philistines have created and the fact that he might need to be in a position to draw on a large amount of men in a short space of time. Mm. So this is very obvious. You know, when you read between the lines here, you can see this is very obviously a tense Period. This is wars and rumors of wars. There's definitely rumors of wars mm. here for him to be able to be keeping, you know, a couple of thousand men and giving another thousand men to Jonathan as a standing army. Wow. And that's going to be quite a tax on the nation of Israel because they've got to feed all of those men mm. who are 
just a standing army. They are not doing anything. They are not on campaign. They are not fighting. None of those things. And so Jonathan, he's got a thousand men under his command who are more or less sitting around practicing probably Mm. how to fight, but they're not actually accomplishing anything because the Philistines are not invading at this particular point. Mm. He's like, I've got a thousand men here. Let's use them. And so he goes and takes one of the Philistine fortresses, which, well, he kind of poked a hornet's nest. Mm. And now the hornets come streaking, streaming out and the Philistines are out for blood. Mm. They are out for revenge. Yeah. They are a much larger, a much more powerful nation than Israel. This is a time of fear for Israel. The Bible says that Saul blows the horn and it calls the people together. Uh, let's continue on in verse 4. It continues in verse 4 and it says, All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba and that Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered an army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and many warriors as the grains of the sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Okay, so this is interesting because they have not just assembled a very, very large army, they have also assembled a large amount of chariots. Yeah, like 3,000. That's a lot of chariots. That is intense. Like, that is heaps. Very intense. Yeah. And what you've got to understand is that this was on the ancient battlefield uh-huh. of this particular era. This was your main battle tank. Yeah. This was the, 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 the most powerful form of armour that you had, mobile armour. So they were, they were fast, they were powerful, they would come streaming into the enemy forces, they would trample the enemy down, mm. they would be able to fight from a position of height and dominance and speed from the back of a chariot. Mm. And God had told the Israelites... Don't build chariots. Mm. Don't own chariots. You don't need them. You should rely on me. Mm. And so they're going to be coming up against a force with all of their chariots. They're going to be coming up against a force of farmers and artisans who have no chariots. Mm. All right. Verse 6. Continues on. It says, The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy... They tried to hide in caves, caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them escaped. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed in Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this that you've done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said to the Philistine so I said the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer burnt offerings myself before you come. Okay, we're gonna stop and talk about this. Mm. There's so much in this passage right here. 
in, in, in the King James Version there in verse 12, it says, Therefore I said, The Philistines have come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, mm. and offered a burnt offering. Mm. Okay, was it Saul's job to offer a burnt offering? No. Why not? Because Samuel was going to do it? Yes, and Saul was not a priest. Yeah. And so this was not Saul's job to offer this particular burnt offering. Mm. This was Samuel's job as the priest. And so once again, you've got this illustration here of the separation of church and state. Samuel has said, I will come and I will offer the burnt offering. Saul gets nervous and he offers it himself. Yeah. Whereas he should have waited for Samuel to come and Samuel to do the, you know, the part of the, 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 the spiritual leader. That's right. Now, okay, but put yourself in Saul's shoes. He's gathered an army together. Maybe put yourself in the shoes of someone in that army. Yeah, well. Every time somebody... Okay, so you've got to get, you've gathered an army together. You look at your army, it's like, okay, this is going to be a close-run thing. But they've got chariots, so that's a bit freaky. Mm-hmm. And so that night some men slip away because they're like, yeah, no, nah, we're just going to live to fight another day. Mm. And so they just slip away. And so now your army is smaller. The next day... You're in that army. You look around. The army is, army is smaller than it was yesterday. So, on day two, you have a much less chance mm. of defeating the Philistines and a much higher chance of dying. So that night, more men slip away. And every day that goes by, if you are a member of that army, your chances of surviving it are diminishing exponentially. That's right. What do you do? Yeah. I feel like Saul in this situation, ultimately, it's one of those situations where he comes up with a reason why he must compromise. He justifies it. He thinks, oh, I have to do this. I know it's wrong, but I have to for the sake of X, Y, Z. I have to do this. I have to do this. But in reality, he doesn't. No. Like, in, 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 because as soon as he finishes offering the bad offering, Samuel is there. Samuel shows up. I think it's, it's such a situation. Like, it's a, it's a terrible test. It's a, it's a terrible bind that Saul is in. And he's, and he's saying, Oh, what about the lives of my men? What about this? What about that? But in reality, the command is simple and clear. Wait for Samuel and, he has just thrown thrown a thousand and one reasons as that at that command why he shouldn't keep it. When in at the end of the day, it's clear. Like okay. he knows what he should do. Two questions have come up. First one: Why did Samuel take so long to get there? And why did second one? Why did the Philistines take so long to attack? Well, it's okay, in regards. Let's, let's to begin the, with the, yeah. Let's begin with the Philistines. The Philistines. That's an interesting one. Yeah, because it's like why why wouldn't they just just go for it? Yeah, because they see, you know, there's a much smaller army there today than what there was yesterday, so let's go and kill Saul. Mm -hmm. But they hold off. Mm. And Samuel had said, I won't come for seven days. Mm. And the Philistines hold off for seven days. Why? Mm. Okay, let's place yourself as a Philistine commander for a moment, Lawson. So this time you're no longer a a Jewish or an Israelite volunteer. You are a, a, a Philistine commander. You uh. look across the valley. The army is smaller than it was yesterday. Mm. You're now in a much better position. You wait another day, it's smaller again. Yeah, you see a growing trend. 
Yes. And what do you do? Do you attack and lose men today, or do you wait t- till tomorrow and lose mes- less men? Mm. Yeah, particularly for them, like they were they were, you know, uh, ready for invasion. Yes. Like furthermore than just a, a battle on a field, you know, to determine some territory. They, no, they want like, they want to no, let's, accomplish hegemony over the entire nation. Let's let's wipe out Israel. Yes. Like that's what they were ready to do and and so for them it's like oh the the, the less force we come up, up against the easier our invasion will be. And the easier it will be to kill King Saul because mm. that's really their goal is to kill the king, cut the head off the snake, the snake dies. Mm. That's a policy that has been used many many different times down through history. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're going to have another question, last one for our quiz. After his crucifixion, Jesus walked with two disciples on the road to which location? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you'll go into the draw to win our Days of Daniel board game, which we'll give to you absolutely for free, provided that you answer these questions correctly and call and text us. But again, that question was, after his crucifixion, Jesus walked with two disciples on the road to which location? 491-064-669. Okay, so as we dig into today's Bible study, we see that Saul's army is melting away. Mm-hmm. The, the the Philistines are facing him with a massive army with a massive amount of chariots. Mm. Saul has been told by Samuel, wait seven days. Mm. He's expecting the Philistines to attack any day. Any day he wakes up and he looks at how small his army is and like, well, surely they're going to attack today. Mm. And Samuel, I've got to wait for a week for Samuel to get here? Mm. Why is it going to take him a week to get here? He's only coming from Shiloh. It's not that far away. Why, why, would, why would he say a week? Mm. And every day the recruits within his army and the volunteers within his army wake up and they look around and they say, this is a lost cause. Why should we die? Mm. We're better off to be living slaves than dead soldiers. Mm. And so they are melting away. A bunch of them are crossing uh, the Jordan into uh, the Jordan River into the, uh, the, the the land of um, Gad and so forth. It was over on the other side of the Jordan. Put a little bit of space between themselves and the Philistines because, of course, the Philistines are coming up from the coast. Mm. It's like, well, maybe we can hold the other side of the Jordan. Maybe we can use the Jordan as a barrier to hold the Philistines out and establish Israel there. You can kind of understand the thinking behind that. Mm. And uh, Saul is losing faith, losing faith, losing faith. However, there are two things in this story, that should have been causing Saul to actually increase in his faith Mm. every single day. What are those two things do you think there might be? It's an interesting... It's a question. Yeah, see if you can find two two things things in this story. Is it the fact that the Philistines are waiting and the fact that Samuel's taking time? It should have enabled him to grow in his faith? That's the first one right there. Mm. Is like... Why didn't the Philistines, every night when he goes to bed at night, he should be asking himself the question, why didn't the Philistines attack today? Mm. We are so weak. Mm. Why didn't they attack today? And that should be evidence that, okay, Samuel said a week. He clearly knows what he's talking about Mm. because they should have attacked by now and uh, if they had have done, they would have attacked before I had a chance to pray mm. and to offer a sacrifice. And that would have been a bad thing. And I haven't had a chance to pray and offer a sacrifice because Samuel hasn't come and they also haven't attacked. Mm. So maybe Samuel knows something. Mm. 
So that right there in and of itself is an evidence that he does not need to stress. Mm-hmm. God has this under control. There is nothing to fear. And if he had not stressed, if he had sat there with absolute confidence, and if he had gotten up every morning and said to his soldiers, look, there's nothing to stress about. These guys are not going to be here for a week mm. or the next time. Yeah, They're not going to be here within five days. Mm. They are not going to be here before Samuel arrives and prays for us. That's right. Then he would have lost less soldiers. 100%. Just that calm demeanor. His his confidence in the situation yes. would have just completely quelled. It's the fact that he's nervous. Like That's what the Bible yes. says. He's freaking out. That's right. The soldiers are freaking out. Because no. they're looking at their leader and it's like, well, if he's freaking out, I'm out of here. Yeah. Again, like we see throughout the Bible many times uh, after this, but also preceding this, like think about Abraham and his war party going to attack the, was it, it was the Elamites. Think about like, you know, Abraham would have needed to be so calm and poised to be able to pull that off because he's got such a small group of people that he's going to f- wage this war with. But it's the fact that he is just reliant on God and calm and, you know, level-headed that his his compatriots, they're, they're willing to go with him. And yes. now, again, they're in a... I don't think I don't think anything can really stack up to that situation. Like, three, 300 of Abraham's servants against an army that is innumerous. Uh, you know, we're seeing an army here from the Philistines that's innumerous, but these are trained soldiers. Yes. And if if... If Saul just truly stays calm and relies on God, then he doesn't have to go through this turmoil. That's right. And you can see some change in Saul's language as you go down through this particular story here because you've got this change from, you know, Saul's talking about, you know, I saw this to I said that. Mm. So uh, he saw that the Philistines would conquer them. Uh, What he saw with his eyes Mm. then shapes what he says Mm. about the situation. And so it is not based on trust in God. It is based on what is observable. Mm. And it's true, what is observable would be pretty freaky. Uh, you can, there's no question about that. However, here's the second thing that should have given Saul confidence. The second thing that should have given Saul confidence was the simple fact that he was facing an army of chariots without chariots. Mm-hmm. Because God had said, don't build chariots. Mm. I will fight for you. And the simple fact that he has no chariots is evidence that Israel in the past has trusted in God Yes, and that God has said he will fight for them. Mm. Okay, so he goes from I saw to I said to I felt. Mm. I felt compelled to sacrifice, he yes. says. And so it goes from what he sees with his eyes to what he says with his mouth to how he feels and he mm. makes a response here that is based on his feeling rather than a response that is based on the promises of God. That's right. And he's got some really, really good evidence here for the promise of God. You know, this is the seventh day now. Mm. The Philistines should have attacked yesterday. They would have wiped him off the planet if they had attacked yesterday. They would have, you know, there's so much, and yet they didn't. Mm which is allowing time for Samuel to come. And the seventh day hasn't ended yet. There's still plenty of daylight left, still plenty of time for Samuel to arrive. And what does he do? He freaks out. He's like, I'll off the sacrifice. Mm. He waited to the day that Samuel said he would be there 
and failed on that day. You know, if yeah. you'd have failed on day four or something or other, it would kind of make more sense because you would say, well, you know, it was day four and I knew you said you'd come on day seven, but it was day four and the Philistines came and set themselves in battle array on the ridge up there mm. and they were about to launch attack, so I made a sacrifice. No, it's not day four, it's day seven. Mm. And he does the sacrifice because Samuel didn't arrive first thing in the morning. Mm. Samuel arrived probably later in the afternoon. Sure. Ah, so many. It, yeah. it kind of reminds me of that quote. It's like no one is is more pitiable than the person who is ninety nine percent committed to God. Oof. And and that's because oof. Their situation, Saul's situation is that you, like, in being submitted to God, you forego so much pride and confidence that you can have in yourself. And that's the path that Saul has been on so far. Like, of course, he's been stressed and freaking out, but he's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's been, he's been waiting. And his situation in a, from a sight, perspective is getting worse and worse and worse. And rather than weighing for the payoff where God comes through for him, he falls just short. Yes. He spent all of that time self-sacrificing, waiting, you know, uh, practicing patience just to fail at the end. He could have failed at the start and just have been in a better position, Uh but he fails right at the end. So no one is is more pitiable than the person who is 99% submitted. Oof, heavy stuff. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to go to question of the day. Before we do, we're going to give you some answers for the quiz. Let's particularly hear that first one about the wind that hit Paul's ship. What was the strong wind called that rose against Paul's ship? It was called a Euryclidon. There you go. So we, we, we have names for certain winds today. Yeah, in have a southerly bust. You have a trade winds. Mm-hmm. You know, these are na- winds that we have. What's named. a Euryclidon? That's a nor'easter in uh, the in the Mediterranean. In the NIV, it calls it a hurricane. Yeah, that's just an American term. Yeah, yeah. Come but on, a Euryclidon. What is the third to last book of the Bible? That is Third John. Complete the phrase "God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes." Continues on, which of the following animals is not mentioned in the Bible? It's actually the elephant. So the unicorn, bear, and leopard are mentioned. The elephant is not. Really? That's interesting because there was definitely quite a lot of elephants around. They were well known in those in those regions in those times. It's not mentioned, just like penguins. Penguins aren't in there either. Of course, penguins weren't in those that region, but I'm just sad that they, they're not there. You know? Yeah. You know when it's like penguins are cool? The lion shall lay with the penguin. That elephant's a cool little penguins. And finally, after his crucifixion, Jesus walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. But right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. Why did Jesus admonish his disciples to pray to his God and Father and not the Trinity? That's from Thomas. Yeah, it's a very interesting question you've got here because throughout the gospel stories, you've got many people that pray to Jesus. Mm. And then when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus says, okay, our Father which art in heaven. Now, clearly, when he is giving a demonstration of his prayer, he's not going to be praying uh 
to himself because you don't pray to yourself. So that's why he addresses the prayer to our Father which art in heaven. So how does Jesus balance that out in relationship to himself? So if you go to Luke chapter 11, the Bible says, just uh, to refresh all our memories here, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the first principle when it comes to prayer. We are directed, and Thomas is very correct here, we are directed to address our prayers to the Father. Does Jesus have a role to play in our prayers as well? Yes, Jesus very specifically tells us uh, in John chapter 15 and verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So a prayer is not complete without praying in the name of Jesus. And so what Jesus instructs us is this. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. What's interesting in the Bible is that you do not find, to my knowledge, and maybe somebody can correct me on this, a passage where the Bible instructs us to pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that? I don't really know. Do I have a problem with that? No, because the Bible is crystal clear that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are found in a multitude of different places, and it To me, what you have here is simply a way that the Bible is describing the different functions and the different roles of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to understand what the function and role of the Holy Spirit is, is right here in this passage. So within the passage that we're looking at, which is a rather long sermon recorded recorded that Jesus spoke, you have a lot of instruction in relationship to prayer to the Father in the name of Jesus and the work and function of the Holy Spirit. So if you go back a few verses, you're going to find this passage here, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will I send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. Then you go down to chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so in many ways, it's almost a little bit, a little bit like Jesus recognizes the fact that, okay, I've taught you how to pray to the Father in my name, and I haven't included the Holy Spirit. So just in case that raises some questions in your mind as to the work and function of the Holy Spirit, let me make it really, really clear for you. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And let me repeat this nine times. Mm. In like, what, three sentences? Mm. He has repeated the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Godhead. So this is not something that we need to be confused about just because Jesus doesn't give us instruction to pray to the Holy Spirit or even to pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in you know using the words of the Trinity. We are to baptize to the Father in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And then the Bible says this, and this is very interesting. If you go over to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that when we pray, the Spirit helps our infirmities and makes groanings that we cannot even begin to 
speak. And so what this Holy Spirit does, the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayers is that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers, which are human, weak, failing, frail, rewords them mm. as they go to the Father and arrive there in the authority of Jesus Christ. So all three members of the Godhead are very, very involved in our prayers, but in different ways and in different functions. Okay, one final text message says, I can imagine in this case the concern Saul would have had with his army shrinking due to those leaving out of fear. But again, that shows who we should put our trust in. God is the only one that could win the battle. But if you compromise in one area, you will always find ways to justify it. Coming through mm. from Braden there at the end of the show, such a great text message to finish our show off with. And, of course, a couple of things to remind you about, and that is that as you go through your day to spend some time with Jesus, and a great way to spend, your, spend some time with Jesus today is to spend some time in prayer. Pray mm. to the Father in the name of the in the name of the the Son and the Holy Spirit will make intercessions for you with groanings that you cannot even utter yourself, with mm. words that you cannot even utter, with imploring that you cannot even do. Of course, don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.